Okay, morning everyone. Nice to see we all of us uh, up and about. Um, so our parasha this week, parasha Lech Lecha, uh, focuses on uh, the first Jew, Avram Avinu, and um, the patriarch Abraham um, is one of the, the foremost men of faith that we have in all of Jewish history. And the stories that take place with him um, are recorded in, in the Torah. And there's one particular story that I'd like to look at this morning. And that is, um, I'll, we, we would probably be uh, okay to call it the, the First World War. Um, it is the, it's the story that the Torah brings down in the 14th chapter of Bereshit. And um, it takes place just after Abraham and Lot, his nephew, separate and go their different ways. Um, at first glance, as you may know, uh, Avram and Lot, uncle and nephew, were quite close. Um, Avram Avinu takes Lot along with him on his journey um, out of Ur-Kazdim toward Haran. And um, they sort of, they, what's meant to happen between the two of them is that it's almost like a, you want a Lot to be Abraham's pupil, but really it doesn't happen. And uh, eventually Avram realizes that Lot is just not open to spirituality in the way that um, makes it possible for them to live together. So after describing the parting of ways between Avram and Lot, the Torah launches into a detailed account of the events that sparked this military conflict. And at this point in time, it probably was the greatest military conflict that there was. So for that particular set of time, this, this war was quite... Uh, was quite the war. So the Torah tells us that there was a, a, a king by the name of Amraphel. He was the king of Shinar. Then there's another king, Arloch Melech Elasar, Kedor Laomer Melech Elam, Tidal Melech Goyim. These are four kings Amraphel, Arloch, Kedor Laomer, and Tidal. These are four kings, and they make up like the one, the one side, call them the Axis powers for, you know, just for discussion point. Um, and they wage war against uh, a king, the king of Sodom, who's Bera, then the king of Amorah, Birsha, the king of Adma, who's the guy Shinav, the king of Tzvoyim, Shem Eber, and the king of Tsar, Bela. They also, now they're all on the other side. You've got four kings, Verse five kings. And um, this part, the battlefield, the battlefield of this whole place was what we know today as the Dead Sea. Amek uh, Hasidim is a, 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 you know, an expression that's describing this place, but it's uh, known to us what eventually will become the Yamamelech, the Dead Sea. Now, there was this, um, there was this rebellion against um, Kedorla Omer. He was one of those kings that we mentioned in the first of the four kings. And um, the, the Torah tells us that they, under, they, were under his, they were under his jurisdiction for 12 years. They served him. And um, in the 13th year, they, they rebelled against him. So we've, we've, we've been introduced to a battle between four kings and five kings. We've been given their names and the countries or cultures they represent. We told where the where the war takes place, but we're not exactly told as to why. We don't know 
um, you know, what really is behind this particular wall. So we now have to have a look and see if we can peel back a few layers to see what's happening over here. Now, um, the Torah, to, uh, the, the, the Chazal, Chazal Rabbonim tell us that some of these names gives us, give us a clue as to what's happening. This fellow Amraphel, who's the first king that's mentioned, this king Amraphel, the name Amraphel, is actually made up of, uh, it's like an, uh, an acronym for uh, a longer name. And the name is based on the following. The Amraphel means Amar le Avraham Paul. He said to Abraham, fall. So this is an illusion. The Torah is sort of giving us a name of, of a king. But within the name, the name of the king uh, is not necessarily his birth name, but rather it's the name the Torah ascribes to him because the Torah is trying to tell you if you can expand the letters in the name, you'll get an understanding of who this person is. And this is Amraphel, who's the leader of the four kings, He's the greatest enemy of Avram Avinu. Amar Paul means he said to somebody, he said to Abraham, fall. He, he's the person who wants to attack Abraham. Now, we know him by another name, and his name is Nimrod. Nimrod was this dictator we uh, learned about last week in Pashat Noach. So, yeah, Nimrod is being referred to now as the person who's waging war against Abraham's value system. And that's his name, Amra, Amraphel, Amar Abraham Paul. He said to Abraham, fall. So this is, this is Nimrod's, uh, this is, this is uh, hinting to you at Nimrod's attack against Avram Avinu. Now we know from uh, the statements of the Rabbonim in the Gemara and Eiruvin, Daphne and Gimel, there the Gemara talks about this well-known story of throwing of Nimrod throwing Abraham into, into this furnace um, after the whole story with him, you know, being, he was sort of handed into the government by his own father because he rebelled against the system of idol worship. And, uh, you know, it sounds like that his father, his father Terach was high up in the, in the governing body of Nimrod's dictatorship and they were committed um, idol worshippers and yeah, he had a son who was a, who was rebelling against the whole system, and it put uh, it in, you know it embarrassed his father, and it put him in a very it put the father Terach in a very precarious position in terms of his own career and where he stood in the government. So eventually, it sounds like Terach, you know, hands over his son Avram Avinu, you know, to the authorities, and um, Nimrod orders him thrown into a furnace, but miraculously Avram Avinu emerges from the fire. You know, unscathed. Now, this whole story is sort of like hinted to in this in this is in Nimrod's nickname that the Torah uses. So, um, other, other the, the, this is the kind of a clue that we we sort of given about what happened with with Avram Avinu in this furnace. But without, there's no other detail in the Torah that even hints to this particular story. Um, anyhow, this is what we have in the Gemara. So um, by, uh, by using this name, Amraphel, which brings, brings back a focus on what happened between Nimrod and Avinu years before. So uh, the Torah is conveying to us that Nimrod's earlier confrontation with Avinu 
is somehow relevant to this world war that takes place. But um, we don't have too much more information to work with. Uh, we just have to try and now see who else is involved. Um, so the the um, Chazal understand from the fact that Amraphel is mentioned first in the list of these four kings. So apparently he's the he's the head of the pack here, and so we are assuming based on the fact that he's that he's mentioned first that he's uh, he's the leader of this. You know the four kings, uh, four king alliance. This is this is how it seems to be from uh, from the words of Chazal. Now uh, we we're not sure exactly how Nimrod gets into the this whole particular story, but um, what we what we told you is that the four kings wage war against this uh, confederation of uh, of of the five kings, and uh, these five kings again, Bera, Birsha, Shinav, Shemaver. And Bella, these are the five kings that were quoted. And um, again, the names of these kings give us some clue as to what happened. Now, Rashi explains that the names of these five kings allude to various aspects of evil, which each one of them embodied. So uh, this is not a war fought between the forces of good and the forces of evil, but rather... Um, What's happening here is, is that you've got two very wicked alliances that are clashing with each other in conflict. So I guess today you, would, you might be able to, uh, you could probably suggest two cultures that are look like that they're pretty evil. So if you said Russia and its confederates are going to war with China and its, and its allies, you know, or, you know, um, the Muslim world are going to war with the Chinese, something like that. This is what it's uh, equivalent to. It's not. It's not good versus good versus evil. So the question now we have is, you know, what caused this particular, you know, confrontation? Um, you got Nimrod on the one side, and you got the king of Sodom on the other. There we can relate to two, two of the of the of the players over here. So our question is, you know, try and work out. What do we think was the cause of this particular war? So the Torah just tells us that the five kings had served Kedorla Omer for 12 years, and in the 13th year, you know, um, they rebelled. Now, it sounds like, and this is how some commentaries uh, do interpret, that um, the five kings stopped paying homage uh, to the dominant four kings, you know, in the 13th year of this particular arrangement that was in place. Um, that's one way of interpreting. There's another way where you say that five kings, they rebelled for a period of 13 years. This is a huge story over here. So, you know, in other words, their years of freedom exceeded their service servitude by one year. So they were under the under the they were under the thumb of the four kings for twelve years, and then for thirteen years they they were free. So yeah, the 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 rebellion of the five kings wasn't it didn't spark the conflict since we see that the four kings had come to terms with this new state of affairs. They kept silent for thirteen years. 
So why did they launch an attack against the five kings so long after the rebellion had begun, according to this second interpretation? You know, time should have healed this, the, the wounds, you know. Um, there's some vital piece of information that needs to explain this delayed reaction, uh, and it's missing from the, the, the Torah's account. So, again, we're looking to try and understand here yeah, a, a cataclysmic event in world history. We don't feel the kind of uh, event it was because it's sort of just only, we don't really, it's so hard to relate to a war that took place so long ago. But this is the first real ever war that was fought in the history of mankind. Now, there had been, uh, you know, isolated altercations between various different individuals prior to this point in the Torah. But never before had there been a clash between armies, you know, of international uh, alliances. So this is a, it's an interesting point here that the land of Israel um, is, is the scene of the very first war that's, uh, that's fought in, uh, you know, in history. So we, we're looking at, this is the Dead Sea, that's where, they come, that's where, they, where the clash takes place. Now, what's really interesting is to, is to look at, at the geography as to where these kings are coming from. Now, we know where Nimrod is. We know Kedorla Omer. We, we, know, we, we know where these people are. So here we get, we, it's, it's, it's actually quite wild. I mean, Babel, Babylon, which is Iran, Iraq in, in our modern day uh, maps. So yeah, you, Nimrod is coming all the way from Babel, you know, to, to wage a war in the middle of the land of Israel. I mean, they had to fight their way through most of the civilized world. Um. This is a this is a tremendous war. It's almost like, you know, this this could be reminiscent of what the, the Tanakh describes as the war of Gog and Magog, which you know is the final showdown between all the nations of the world in uh, in Eretz Israel. You know, so yeah, we've got something interesting. We've got massive dislocation or a relocation of people's armies from from all over the world to come and fight over here. Um, we mentioned as the story begins that Nimrod seems to be the leader of the pack. He's mentioned first. But at the same time, um, you know, even though Nimrod is mentioned first, uh, we've got these other names and other people that are involved in this particular, in this particular war. And, um, you know, it sounds like that Nimrod, he's the, he's the guy who motivates this. He's the catalyst for this particular uh, conflict. And, you know, when the battle is fought, Nimrod and the four kings emerge victorious and they, they, they conquer and they, they you know, they, they conquer these five kings and they sack their cities and they, they, they attempt to go now, you know, back to, to their, their homeland. So this, is, this seems to be what's happening in the, you know, let's call it in the, the world of secular history of, uh, of the civilizations of the time. Now, at some point in time, we, we've got something interesting here. All of a sudden, the, 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 the Jew finds himself in the middle of a battlefield. You know, how did, how did, how did, did Adam Avinu get involved in this particular story? So what's interesting is, is that um, we've got one Jew, Lot, who separated from Adam Avinu, and Lot had, um, was living in Sodom. And 
Sodom, one of the one of the kings of the five side of the five kings. So he was taken prisoner. And uh, Avram Avinu is, is informed by a refugee. Some people say it was Og, but let's say a refugee informs Avram Avinu of the war. And Avram Avinu ignored the war, uh, you know, at first. But all of a sudden, when he was told that um, a lot was taken captive, so then he felt that he had a responsibility. Um, and this is the first time that you have a kind of a, a Jew, Avram Avinu, standing up for another Jew, even though the, you know, the other Jew got himself into trouble. So um, Avram Avinu, at first glance, is, not, is ignoring the political uh, you know, problems of the world. Um, but he's going to take action when the welfare of another Jew is, is threatened. So all of a sudden you get the situation where the four kings um, overwhelm the five kings and the five kings are, are, under, are taken captive and their cities are ransacked. And now there's a Yid who's taken captive and this lot uh, is Avram's nephew. Avram now goes to rescue him. So um, he then goes, he puts a little army together um, and he, he goes, he goes to, to try and see if he can, he can rescue, he can rescue uh, Lot. Now, it's interesting that, that the way that the Torah describes the nature of this, of this war, um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's almost interesting that Hashem's trying to show how mankind threatens itself. Um, you know, he, uh, he, you'd think that they could work something out, but these cultures only go to war. Now, Nimrod, he, um, Nimrod wants to determine his own destiny. So Nimrod's a, a, a fellow who thinks that, um, his conviction is, is that he's going to determine his own fate and no matter what he's going to, and, 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 the, and the, may the stronger man win. So the cause is much less important than the, than the, than the person's ego. So Nimrod spearheads the, the construction of the Tower of Babel. And, and that, that, that whole project was based on the fact that man has to break free of the shackles of a higher being, being controlled by a higher being. So in order to break free of the shackles of religion, so to speak, He's got, to, he's got to assume control over his own fate so that he'll, that he'll be no longer subservient to some sort of spiritual God or an omnipotent God. So in order to be, become self-sufficient, you know, men have to be forced to learn to cooperate. And without, without mankind cooperating with a dictator, the dictator is not a dictator. Um, and so Nimrod wants to foster here a sense of a universal synergism, if you want, and and determine his own destiny, and so he basically forces, he wants to go to war with all of mankind to try and get them to bow down to him and join this project, you know, um, that what of which the Tower of Babel was a symbol. So the the Tower of Babel was a a, a symbolism of man's ascent to heaven, uh, figuratively displacing Hashem from his throne. Uh, and so become his own, uh, you know, his, his own his own deity. So, what happened with the Tower of Babel, as you know, is that Hashem foiled uh, Nimrod's plans, you know, and he 
introduced the concept of of separate nationalities um and each nation then began to pursue its own independent uh, interests and dissension sets in and the diffused and the diffused synergy um takes place you know all of mankind's endeavors now you know become become sort of scrambled because of what happened um as Hashem created new cultures and new languages and split everybody uh, um, up into into countries so this this is what we learned last week in Parshat Noach that the, the deeper intent of the verse which says Hashem or the angels come and let us descend and confuse their speech so that one person won't understand what the other one is saying or doing you know that that uh it's it's it it, it it basically undermined the unity of of, of mankind. And so it's interesting that here you see that this feeling of potential nationalism, um, it's, it's, it's not an intrinsic trait of mankind, but a, a, it's a, almost a curse imposed upon mankind by Kosh Baruchel. The fact that there's all different nationalities uh, and we sep separate it out into all these particular uh, cultures. Ultimately, we should have been, you know, one conglomerate of people under God but but Hashem cursed us because you know we used that unity for bad instead of for good and we all unified under one dictator to rebel against God so Hashem took that unity and destroyed it and cursed it and the curse resulted in all these separate countries and different nations um, so basically this is what happens um, Hashem imposes nationalities on the world and it prompts man to establish his identity first as a, as a member of a particular nation and only then as a, as a human being. And so what's happened here in history is that nationality has become more important than humanity. Uh, the, the, you know, this is a problem. Uh, this, the, the, this distortion is the punishment that, that mankind incurred you know, when they misused the inherent sense of unity, you know, to uh, to rebel against the Kosh Baruch Hu. So at first the Torah describes how beautiful it is that everybody, you know, has one language and and uh, and um, and is almost one people. That unity was then used for bad to rebel against God. Hashem destroyed the unity and created and created different countries. And so because mankind used the unity for, for incorrect purposes, it was taken away from him. And uh, we, we've never had it since, since that time in the Torah's recall of the, the story, the Tower of Babel. We've never had the concept of unity ever again. It's always been nationalities. So Hashem took it away, uh, this idea of unity all the way altogether, and replaced it with the exact opposite trait, and that is, you know, dissension of, of mankind in the form of, uh, of nationalism. Now, Nimrod, he was the guy that was the leader of the world at the time. He had everybody underneath him. So he suffers a tremendous setback when Hashem introduces this type of national discord into the world because he was the dictator of the entire civilization that we knew at the time. He then rebels against God. Hashem scrambles everybody. And out of the blue, 
nationalities, languages, dispersions are, you know, cause an absolute undermining of Nimrod's empire. So what Nimrod is trying to do here is, is um, he's trying to get it all back. You know, he, does, he, couldn't, he can't even understand what happened. All of a sudden, his entire state status as the dictator of the world was undermined almost overnight without even without without even firing a shot. Like Hashem just dived in there, split everybody up, and all of a sudden Nimrod, who had everybody cooperating with him, you know, um was 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 undermined completely. So he goes to war now. He's going to try a whole new approach to get back his empire. So instead of encouraging the nations to cooperate like he did in the beginning, he would he would he would conquer the entire world and force them to do so. So you know, under his iron fist, nations would no longer have the freedom to pursue their their diverse interests, and and it, it's that would. Have, so th this is why this war is happening. Nimrod, Nimrod is trying to put his empire back together, which crumbled as a result of Hashem's uh, interference. And so Nimrod now, where he was able to win over the cooperation of mankind, uh, let's call it benignly. Um, up until a certain point, now he's got to go and try and achieve that through a war. So he becomes the ultimate uh, dictator, you know, who would coerce man to follow the path of, uh, you know, of, of what he dictates. And that's how that's how the concept of war, you know, was introduced into the world. Uh, and this war that Nimrod was to unleash over here was like that Gogumagog, it was the war intended to be the war that would end all wars. And Nimrod was certain that once his uh, purpose was achieved, you know, um, everybody would be under his thumb again and uh, religion would become, you know, ir irrelevant. So this is how, through the eyes of, of, the, of the Gomorrah and Midrash, one can get an understanding of what's happening over here in this particular war that takes place between the four kings and the five kings, and why the war, what was the cause of this war, and um, why it's fought, you know, in in in, in Israel, and how the Yid just gets in, in the, you know, the Jew just gets involved in the middle of this war. Now, let's go back a little bit in terms um, of the of, of the religious history, you know, of the of the world. Um, between Adam and Chava's exile from the Garden of Eden and Avram Avinu's birth, you know, so we've had pretty much major upheaval. There's 1,650 years until the flood hits, and then there's Noah emerging from the flood and his family procreate, and there's a whole new world order that goes all the way through until Avram Avinu's uh, birth. Now, what were the major problems that took place in, in, in society. Well, Cain murders Hevel. Uh, the generation of the flood reaches a moral low and, um, you know, they try and secede from the, you know, from being answerable to a higher power and they build this tower of Babel. Um, now, what you, and what, so what you have over here is you've got three character traits that are sort of represented by these different events. Um, 
the, the Mishnah in Masechet in Pirkei Avot uh, tells us as follows, Rabbi Ezra Kapar says that there are three character traits, Kinad, you know, jealousy, Tava is lust, and Kavod, ego. Um, each three of these character traits are very, very, very powerful. If used incorrectly, if there's a breakdown uh, of, these, of, these, of these traits, then um, the world is in trouble. So the, the first personality flaw mentioned in the Mishnah is jealousy. And that represents the breakdown in relations between man and man. And it was jealousy that led, you know, Cain to, to kill his brother. The second personality flaw, a taiva, a lust, represents a breakdown in man's relationship with himself. Uh, and lust was the motivating factor behind all the iniquities of the Dora Mabul, the generation of the flood. Right? The whole concept of taiva, um, you know, is described in, in their lifestyle. It's a hedonistic-minded uh, lifestyle that they were living there, the Dora Mabul. And the third personality flaw in the Mishnah is Kavod, the pursuit of honor. That represents a breakdown in man's relationship with Hashem. So man's pursuit of honor, you know, essentially comes along and says that I'm the, I'm the be-all and end-all and not anybody else. And this culminated in the misguided attempt to build the Tower of Babel. So humanity failed these three tests, basically. The responsibility to bring about the world's... Uh, Rectification was taken away from mankind in general because now they demonstrated that that the major character traits that make up a an ethical um, humanity have been lost completely. So Nimrod and this entire world war represents uh, represents all of this, and um, now Hashem is taking away human destiny um, from the entire world an average human being, and he's now moving it to the, the, the responsibility to, the responsibility to rectify the world has now moved from humanity as a whole to Abraham Avinu and his descendants. And from this point on, in the Torah's narrative, Hashem no longer speaks to humanity as a whole, but only to Abraham Avinu and his descendants, uh, Am Israel. So, Putting this all together now, what you start to see over here is that it's 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 very it's understandable, it's logical why Avram Avinu and Nimrod, you know, clashed in this decisive confrontation. Um, and this is exactly what this war was really about. It was a struggle between Avram Avinu's belief in God and Nimrod's heretical outlook on life. And this is the this is the kind of war that. Um, we will we will once we are we are experiencing all the time the jews representing or supposed to be representing you know hashem's interest in the world and then there's the the, the anti-god forces that are out there now that in this particular story the final outcome we understand what happened miraculously even though the four kings beat the five kings therefore the four kings are tremendously strong and now he's got all all of them fighting in theory on his side but yeah, Avinu uh, beats him, and he de he defeats Nimrod. Um, and this is this is this miraculous story, even though it's reported to us as a historical event that took place, which seems to have nothing to do with us. But yeah, Avinu defeats Nimrod, 
and demonstrates to him that man cannot exist independently of God. Um, so, you know, I, what Hashem, what Avramavin was trying to tell Nimrod was that, you know, the, the world that he had created was all an illusion. Man can never control history. Hashem will always prevail. And this particular theme that was the catalyst for the first world war in, in, in civilization is, is the theme going all the way through history and will be the theme that will end all wars, the war of Gog and Magog, you know, at, at the end of, at the end of days. So this is, um, this is just a type of a, a description as to how to understand what is communicated to us in the Torah. You know, it's like without, it's like meat without any spice over here. You, you, you see the story, but you don't really have what's going on when you read about it. Cause all you read about is, you know, five, four Kings waging war with five Kings and, um, and happen, you know, it's not our problem. We've got nothing to do with this war. But it happened to be that Lot was captured within the story and Avramavinu went to find him and rescue him. What, what, what more is happening over here is that Hashem is drawing Avramavinu into the war. Hashem is possibly saying to Avramavinu, you can't ignore this war. You know, you want to sit on the sidelines and ignore it. You can't ignore it. This is actually a war about good and evil. And therefore, I have to find a way to slip you into this war. You know, Hashem knows Avramavinu is not just going to go out looking for a fight. That's not what he does. So Hashem orchestrates that Lot is captured so that Avramavinu is brought into the war. But he's brought in in such a way that the odds are so against Avramavinu achieving anything. In order to rescue Lot, he's got to go and literally defeat the victors of, of this major world war. And it's miraculous that he's able to do so. And no one can deny the miraculous nature of it. So the fact that he's involved in such a story here, um, the message should have been learned by the, the kings of the time that, you know, this is really, um, you know, the real, the real message of what's going on over here is that man, man cannot control history. It's Hashem is in control and we have to be subservient to Hashem. This message was totally, was totally missed by uh by the by the so-called societies of the time and uh it's understandable now that hashem has seen the world destroy itself uh through the by the flood he's seen the world destroy itself with the tower of babel and the great dispersion and and now it's time to you know that project's never going to work anymore but in order to rectify the world the responsibility is now going to be taken away from mankind in general and assigned to Avinu. Uh, in particular, and uh, his descendants. And this is how, I guess, we read history, you know, through the, uh, the lens of the Torah. And now our chosenness through Avram Avinu starts to develop from a certain point. Uh, and the point really is this particular war, this war, in a sense, propels Avram Avinu into the center of world history. Now, every single person knows his name. Uh, you know, until now, there's a certain segment of civilization that Avramavinu has had contact with. Um, but he's no, I don't know, maybe he, he's known, I don't know, but I wouldn't call him an international figure. Until this, all of a sudden you get one guy with a band of, you know, either he on his own or the band of merry men 
There's not many of them. There's a couple of hundred soldiers. The Chazal, the Rabbonim, give the figure of 318 soldiers. And some even say that 318 is the numerical value of Eliezer, which meant it was just two of them. And they take on this entire, you know, the, the entire world civilization, basically, in a, in a war. It's, it's actually, it's, it's not normal. The whole thing is mir miraculously bizarre that two people can undermine this entire infrastructure. Even if it's 318, there must have been millions of people that were, that were going to war. And these, this group of Avramavinu drawn into the war to rescue Lot, who probably doesn't even know why, he doesn't even deserve to be rescued. It's all question as to why Lot actually was rescued. And, you know, so there, there are different approaches as to why Lot was actually rescued. Um, but, um, yeah, Avramavinu sees him as, of course, his family, his nephew, he's another Jew, and uh, and he, he goes to he goes to you know rescue Lot at this point in time. So yeah, all of this is to bring Avramavinu into the center of world history here and demonstrate that this is what's going to be the the struggle within uh, mankind's history. This uh, you know independence or dependence with 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 regard to Koshbaru. Man was always going to be fighting for one's independence from Hashem. And the reality is that we are always need to realize that we are dependent on Hashem. So this is the theme that uh, I believe is understood through the eyes of Chazal as, uh, as emerging from this story in, uh, you know, the, the War of the Four and Five Kings in Parshat Lechlecha. Okay, so I will uh, leave you with those thoughts. And... Um, Wish you all well, and yeah, we should be able to start to see each other in in, in shul and uh, at smachot again. Okay, so wishing you well, Kol Tov. Thank you, thank, thank you, you. Thank you. All the best. Thank you. Thank all you very much. Good to be back. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Shkash, shkash. Shkaya.